Well, hey there, and welcome back to Tax Sale Insiders. We're a podcast for successful lean and de-investing. And we're here, we're back, we're talking to all you tax sale investors, and of course, as always, nerding out about all things tax liens and tax deeds. Now, sorry we missed a week, glad you're back, and if you're new here, my name is Rachel Seidensticker, and I'm the COO at Tax Sale Resources, who gives this podcast its bones. We bring you new tax sale investing topics each week by interviewing experts in the industry every second and fourth Wednesday. So be sure to keep tuning in and be sure to also subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All right, we're excited around here because this is a two-part series all about Kentucky. And on top of it, we have Randy Saunders back. Now, if you missed it, he covered our West Virginia episode a couple months back. So go check that out when you're done here. Randy's with Nelson and Mullins, based out of Huntington, West Virginia. But as we've mentioned, Nelson Mullins serves multiple states and is unique in that they focus solely on tax liens and tax deeds. So, I promise you, Randy is plenty knowledgeable concerning the Bluegrass State. So, in this week's hot tip, Kentucky is different from other states for a few reasons, but a big one would be their servicing obligations. Now, they like to pile them on there which includes a payment plan option for homeowners. So as always, be sure to do all your research before you hit a new state, but especially Kentucky, because it just has some big tweaks and you're gonna wanna sit up and take some notes for the next hour. Now I apologize in advance, Randy was having some technical difficulties, so we've had to do some splicing. So it might get a little ugly here and there, but just stick with it and I promise it'll be okay. But now it's time, sharpen those pencils, and sit back and relax for another episode of Tax Sale Insiders with Randy Saunders and TSR CEO, Brian Seinsticker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of, of Tax Sale Insiders. Um, we're lucky enough to have uh, Randy Saunders uh, with us again. Uh, welcome, Randy. Um, and Randy's Morning. from uh, Nelson Mullins, which is, um, um, I guess, a group of attorneys. Randy, you can, you can jump in and correct me here when I'm wrong, but um, they actually are, are rare in this industry in the fact that they uh, provide um, you know, tax sale assistance, um, uh, attorney assistance in multiple states from West Virginia, Kentucky, um, Alabama. Uh, I, you know, I guess, Landy, I'll let you kind of elaborate on, on several yeah. other states. But uh, typically, um, you know, attorneys are very focused in a state. Um, you guys are great because you can help uh, in multiple states. And so we've, we've, we've chatted and, and talked about West Virginia. Um, and today, uh, I think we're going to focus on uh, Kentucky. Um, and uh, you guys have done an excellent job of putting together these white papers. Um, I know you have a copy of it there. You can mm-hmm. show everybody. Um, and, and I just, it's always nice to kind of hear, um, hear the, the same information, but, um, you know, verbally, um, you know, let me ask some questions and some clarifying, um, you know, data and, and, um, you know, we can, we can hopefully, uh, make this, uh, extremely useful for everybody, including myself, because I'm, I'm loosely, uh, knowledgeable of, of Kentucky, but, uh, Kentucky is one of those states where it's so different compared to a lot of the popular states like Florida, um, mm-hmm. Illinois, Arizona, that sort of thing that um, it'll be as much of a learning exercise for me as it will for everyone else. So um, I guess, uh, Randy, again, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I appreciate you having me again uh, this morning. 
And uh, I really enjoy speaking with you. And you know, like you said, so Nelson Mullins, we have 25 offices nationwide. We have about 800 attorneys. Uh, and so one of the things we pride ourselves on is we really are a full service law firm uh, in you know, several areas, but, but especially from my focus in the tax lien area. Um, you know, if it's, if it's corporate issues, if it's funding issues, if it's servicing issues, if it's literally, I want to get into West Virginia, I want to get into Kentucky, I want to, you know, work with Matt Aby in South Carolina and Georgia and some of those states, if, if Alabama, wherever it might be, we can help you from inception to creation, corporate formation, um, funding, uh, you know, so we want to be kind of that full service partner that understands the industry. Uh, understands and, and sits down with you to, to kind of what are your long-term goals and objectives, um, you know, as you as you step into the state. And is this state right for you based on that? Um, you know, like we talked about last time in West Virginia, you know, you've got a smaller population, you've got 55 counties, and, and you're looking at a more more focused um, uh, kind of kind of approach and more of a long-term strategy. And I'll get into this in a little bit, but, you know, Kentucky is a judicial sales state, so judicial foreclosure, and there's 120 counties. And I feel like for some, Kentucky can end up being a Vietnam if you go in and you literally try to lay down uh, capital in 120 counties and you try to deal with multiple judges in 120 counties and 120 master commissioners trying to get this for set. And by the time you're looking at it and you're trying to um, you know, service and, and deal with all of this, it, could, it can become a lot very quickly if you don't have a plan and, and you don't have that expertise. Uh, but a little bit about me, because like, why is a guy from West Virginia talking about Kentucky? Um, I moved uh, from Iowa to Kentucky when I was in middle school. Went, uh, I was graduated from what was formerly Muhlenberg South in, in the western part, western coal fields. Went to Moorhead State um, for undergrad, which is in the eastern part of the state, and then UK for law school. I've spent um, all of my career, you know, practicing in West Virginia uh, in Kentucky, uh, and especially in the eastern states uh, and across, you know, if you take 64 across, you go through Louisville, Frankfurt, uh, Lexington, and then also down in the western coal fields where you've got places like Franklin Simpson and Bowling Green. Um, and, and what you learn is it's, it's a big state, you know, and, and there's a lot of ground to cover. And again, I think that it is the second, um, in, in terms of the number of counties, it's, it's the second largest, um, not obviously by land size, but by county size. And um, the reason for that is back in the day when they split it all up, they wanted it to be a single day's horse journey from wherever you lived to the county seat. And so that way you could get to the, to the county seat, you know, within, within one day. So it, that in my mind presents a, somewhat of a, of a challenging problem that's, that's a lot different um, than the state we talked about last time, West Virginia. But as you mentioned, we, we do white papers and work with you guys and we appreciate the opportunity to, to work with you and, and get these out there. And this is, this is on the site, it's called the Updated Comprehensive Guide. To understand understanding Kentucky tax sales. I'm going to use that kind of as a guide today and, and have more of a conversation with you. But um, this was published on April 1st of 2021. Obviously, things are changing. And this is a 20-page document, I think. But even that isn't enough to, I mean, it, this really just kind of gets you, gets you started with what we're dealing with. 
but so if we take a step back and we look at, you know, what what is Kentucky as far as the the, the tax lien landscape, and it's a it's a tax lien certificate or certificate of delinquency state, and they're sold annually at public auction, and so. What happens is in Kentucky, taxes are due on December 31st, and they become delinquent on January 1st. And so, um, you know, basically from, from that period, we'll get into the, to the timeframes, but around April 15th is when you start to see the um, uh, kind of available collateral as far as what I'll call, you know, the tax lanes start to line up what's going to be put on onto the market. Um, I think out of the gate, what's what's so different when, when you look at two states that are side by side, and you look at West Virginia, and you've got this state where, um, you know, it's it's 18 months and you get a tax deed and all this. And, and, and if you don't within 18 months, it's gone. Well, in Kentucky, it's it's entirely different. There's a statute that says you can get this, but you can't do anything with it for a year. Um, if you are like most of my institutional clients and you buy at a certain range, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you also have an obligation to do a payment plan. So your servicing obligation in the state of Kentucky is, is a lot more significant than other, other states because you know, the state has made that just from a public policy perspective as you know, one, of its, one of its kind of main thrusts that it, 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 it wants to, I guess, and, and it, it, it's probably good from an optics standard too, um, because it shows, you know, in our industry, I think so often, you know, we try to explain, look, if we don't come in and pay this, it's the kids and the school boards and where all this tax money goes, that that's where the shortfall is going to be. Um, but it, it, uh, as we know, it isn't always reported that way. You know, when the, the bat, when you got the tax lien for a, uh, a, a vet in uh, Maryland or Michigan that was sold for 86 cents or, you know, I mean, those are the stories we hear. So, um, and, and I apologize, I got went down that rabbit trail. Well, I, lost I guess it. they put the statutes in place to kind of help the, the constituents, yes. right? Yeah. And so, so what, you know, what, what they want to see is you have an obligation and, and I'll talk about this more in depth, but essentially to get that payment plan in place, give them an opportunity to, to pay, you get the benefit of everything. Everything's added onto it, your interest is 1% um, per month, 12, you know, obviously 12% over the calendar year per annum. Um, but um, it, it that, that extra servicing obligation, and you don't have, if, if they fail it the first time, you don't have an obligation to do it again. And if you're not a big enough buyer, you don't have to, but you're not precluded from doing it. Uh, but then what happens is after year one, you you jump in and you've got to go through the judicial foreclosure process. Um, and, and so, you know, there you've got essentially 10 years to bring the action. And so what's so different in West Virginia, we rarely run up against um, multiple liens on a property. But I've, I've had, you know, cases where it's it's sit around in a servicing portfolio for eight years, no action has been taken for various reasons. And you've got six or seven liens stacked up, you know, that, that different parties have, have purchased. And we'll talk about how that comes into play too. And so, you know, I think when you look at all these things and you think, just kind of given an overview as we step in, if I'm gonna step foot in Kentucky, I've got to realize I'm gonna put this capital out. I can't do anything for a year. I'm going to have some servicing obligations, you know, up front. We're talking about some notice letters and stuff like that. 
um, I'm going to need to, you know, do the do the payment plan. But I also want to make sure that I do a little more due diligence up front, not only in selecting the counties that I want to operate in, but I want to talk to somebody knowledgeable local there. Um, you know, because you're going to be dealing with each county's judiciary. You'll be dealing with each county's master commissioner. Um, you're going to be, you know, and, and, and so as you look and you say, and, and then also doing the due diligence to know, am I buying something that's been purchased five times, six times, seven times? And there's, you know, and, and so because that, that's obviously, I mean, some of these properties, depending on the county and going on judicial sale, you're not really guaranteed how much they're going to bring, if, if anything. So all of these things kind of have to be factored in um, as you look at, at going in. Now, with all that being said, um, you know, I do think because of the, the system that's set up in place, unlike in West Virginia, where you're looking and you're saying, I'm going to make my money potentially on developing a real estate portfolio. You know, I can, I can have my redemption money. I can sell property and I can hold property. I think in Kentucky, when you look at it, what you're thinking is, I am going to look at essentially a servicing model where I'm going to establish payment plans and I'm going to make my money on interest and redemption more so than because now you can show up and purchase at the judicial sale, but it's much more rare uh, in Kentucky that my clients walk away with the property unless they really want it mm. uh, than it is that th this is this is. I don't I don't want to say well we'll say primarily about capital as opposed to you know acquisition of of real property. Well, that, um, I guess Randy, a, a real quick question to to help mm -hmm. people understand when you because I understand what you're saying, but I, I don't know everybody listening. Well, when you say servicing and payment plans, I think in a lot of states that offer payment plans, that relationship of offering and managing that payment plan is typically done by the the county, but in Kentucky. That's not the case, right? So when you say servicing, right. it's you are you are communicating with the taxpayer. You are setting up that payment plan. You're managing those payments. You're doing all of that. That's a lot more work than most tax lien investors are used to. Is that accurate? Yes, and and you get to add the grand total, unless it's it's changed since April, which I don't think it has, but of eight dollars per month in administrative costs for for that. So that's not going to be your money maker, but. Um, you know, what it does on, on a lot of these, you know, because so so I'll jump into this and then I'll, I'll jump back. But when we look at installment plans, um, so if you're going to buy more than five certificates statewide or three in any county, or you're going to invest more than $10,000, then pursuant to the statute, which is KRS 134, 128 and KRS 134, 490, you have to have the monthly installment plan. Uh, and so the taxpayer and purchaser not only have to have those conversations, but you actually have to sign an agreement detailing the terms of the plan. And the, the purchaser there, again, it can say, but, but again, this is, it, it, you, you may impose the processing fee not to uh, exceed $8 per month. But that's where, again, you want to make sure that you're getting advised by an attorney when you're making these agreements, making sure you're including that. So on the back end, because $8 a month is not a lot, but it's it ends up being, you know, I'm not a mathlete, but what, 96 bucks, you know, over, over the course of a year in addition. So it, it all adds up. And if you've got a portfolio that's large enough and you are servicing, you know, let's say a thousand of these, 
you know, then, then you've got 8,000 bucks a month on top of your services, you can make it work. But I think you've got to do your volume calculations, you know, and, and so it, it makes um, smaller portfolios a little bit less attractive than, than having a larger portfolio where you've got a dedicated servicing entity where you're, you're doing, because we're going to talk about 45 day letters, 50 letters, 50 day letters, things like that, that you have to send out in addition to these payment plan communications, um, how you, but you're right. Um, you are managing, you're, you're essentially acting like a mortgage servicer where you're taking the monthly payments until it's satisfied and then that lien um, is, is released. And, and that's the other thing on the back end, making sure that you release the lien. Um, but I think I said that, um, so, so if, the, if there's a default, they only get one payment plan, but at the same time, um, if there's a default for a reason that, that's acceptable, that's to the discretion of the, the, the servicer. You can make another payment plan if you're continuing to get, get paid on it. Um, and then if you, and, and I'm not sure how many folks um, would get into the market and not purchase more than five. So, so honestly, you know, I think if you're listening to this and you're interested in getting into Kentucky, I think you, you need to, to be prepared for that payment plan servicing. And, and quite frankly, for anybody listening to this that's actually going to be invested, you're gonna invest more than $10,000 or else, you know, you gotta question if it's, if it's really, you know, viable endeavor. Now on that, on that payment plan piece, uh, Randy, is it, is it very structured and, and um, cause it, uh, you're describing it, the other state that, that sounds somewhat similar is, is and actually many listeners might disagree uh, because most people don't know about this aspect of Texas. Texas has uh, lean loans, uh, I call yeah. them, um, totally separate from the, the standard you know, tax deed auctions that occur down in, in Texas, but uh, mm -hmm. you become a servicer of essentially micro loans, right? Yeah. Um, but at least in Texas, it's very wide open um, as far as how that payment plan is structured. Is it is it very cut and dry like the payment plan is this in the only interest you can charge is 1% a month and the only fee you can charge is $8? Is it that structured or is it pretty flexible and like, all right, if you make it 12%, 18%, you know, is there a maximum and a minimum and you provide, you know, you offer whatever structure is best for you? Uh, how, how, how enclosed is that box of a structure that you have to offer? Yeah, and so let me let me take it because that's a, that's an interesting analogy that I really haven't thought a lot of about. But when you look at Texas and Nevada, they both have statutes in place which basically allow for these micro lenders to reach out to delinquent taxpayers before the issuance of the the liens, and they'll pay on their behalf, mm -hmm. and basically then they're assigned the lien from the the counties, uh, and then they're servicing like you just said, and and if they go delinquent, then that micro lender, what we'll call them, will have the ability to, to go after and foreclose just like they would if, if they would have purchased it. So the, the, the main difference, I think, there is the distinction of, of, of pre-sale and post-sale. And so I think there's more freedom of, of contracting on the, the Texas-Nevada side just because it's, it's a, it, it really is a, a good faith transaction that's taking place before the sale. So these right. people are kind of negotiating to say, look, I'm willing to do this for you to pay my taxes and I'll pay you back. 
on the back end, you're in Kentucky, you're still stuck, you're not stuck, but you're still obligated to the statutory framework about what is recoverable. You can't contract, um, you know, for different terms and you have to pay me this much more. You have to pay me in excess of the statutory um, interest rate or, or more than the statute allows for recovery fees. Because I tell you, that's one thing Kentucky does a good job. The statute outlines, you know, uh, what it believes reasonable attorney's fees are, um, you know, the expenses that are recoverable, uh, things like that. And so, again, the agreement is more to provide the um, taxpayer with, because this is not information that, that the public is, is normally going to be familiar with. So it's basically to, to, to put them on notice and then you're inside. But the, the main difference being that you've got this signed agreement, you add in the additional $8, but that needs to be in the contractual provision. And then they're gonna pay you monthly and that monthly payment is going to reduce the overall obligation. And so, um, and, and that's one thing, again, you've gotta have a system set up in place so that if it's challenged and they say, I sent you these checks and they weren't applied, I mean, you, you, you kind of start getting into some of that. And again, that's not rocket science. It's just, you've gotta make sure you've got it set up and I think you have a significant volume so that you know there's a big difference between having eight dollars a month and eight thousand dollars a month right um, you know with the software and you know the overall um, administrative um, support that you can have but but I think you at least need to have one or two people that are going to be dedicated to to doing this and then working with with outside counsel to help you put together um, some of your letters and uh, you know managing issues as, as they come up. Uh, because ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to get the judicial foreclosure uh, part if the payment plan falls through. Uh, and, and at that point, what you don't want to happen is for them to say, hey, you didn't do the 50-day letter, right? Or you've got a problem with this payment plan. So, you know, you want to work cooperatively with your internal servicing folks. And, and I'll tell you, a lot of the stuff that we've done, um, you know, we set up a bit like, when I said we're full service. So if somebody were to come in and say, look, I don't, I don't have the uh, ability to, um, you know, just create an in-house servicing department out of thin air. Right. So, you know, then they would contract with us and we would help and, and kind of help get the, uh, get the servicing and stuff like that. But most of the time, what I would recommend those, we don't accept the funds. So we would we would help set everything up, but they would still have to have an accounting arm separate where the funds go to the to the client for payment. Okay, okay. Well, uh, real quick uh, on the servicing piece, and then uh, a couple questions on on getting set up. So um, on the servicing itself, I guess that you're required, I'd say, to offer this payment plan. Mm -hmm. But if I, I know in a lot of cases, um, you know, people don't pay their taxes, they don't want to be contacted, right? So you offer and is there a any requirement of offering it um, almost like a um, skip tracing or servicing where you've got to go through XYZ and trying to find the person to offer that is that a requirement yeah. and if you don't if you don't have any success okay you know the payment plan is off the table is that a is that yeah yeah and, and you want to and, and that's well taken because at the end of the day again you know that would be a challenge point when you get to the foreclosure part is, is hey, you didn't, you didn't offer me this. You're supposed to offer, you can't foreclose on me until you offer me this. So you're gonna wanna go back and you wanna be able to say, well, you know, we, we sent to the physical address, certified mail, regular mail, you know, the, the certified mail was refused. 
return mail um, was sent back undelivered. You know, here's here's the information that we obtained from the PVA, which is in each county in, in Kentucky has a, a PVA. And that's where you go to get the addresses um, similar to our assessor and stuff in, in West Virginia. Okay. Um, but you're going to want to have that all documented. So on the back end that you can show, because obviously you can't force them to take. And, and so uh, you just want to make sure you can document the file when you get in front of that circuit court judge to say, here, judge. Um, uh, sorry. So when you get in front of the judge, because obviously that's the other thing you have to think about, too. You know, you've got 120 counties. You're going in front of a judge. Um, we're you know, I, I may be down there with 10 of these. And, you know, you've got to look at the sympathetic factor and, and, and you know, I, I can never fault a judge for that. He's looking at these folks that obviously had struggled to pay taxes and, you know, they're going to maybe have some excuse. So you got to make sure that when you show that file um, to, to the court that you can say, look, this is strict statutory compliance, judge. And so you can look through it. We did everything we were supposed to do. And, you know, here's, you know, there's, there's no reason to, to move forward. So it, it can take sympathy out because if you can find something uh, that demonstrates that we failed to strictly comply with the statute, more often than not, it's, it's, it's going to result in, in timely delays. And especially if you're in a position where you're not getting a payment plan, it's just sitting there. Because then what you're going to come up against is year two and year three. Mm. And what we, what we jumped around a little bit, but if, if, the bidding process in Kentucky um, is 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 a little bit little bit different, and it's it's a round robin process. Um, but you basically before it's about ten days before, um, I, I think is I think you have to submit at least ten days before um, any priority certificates, which would mean all like so you you bought a bunch in twenty twenty. Now you're coming to the 22 Round County where Moorhead State is or Fayette County where Lexington is. And you need to tell the clerk, um, I have priority on these and I intend to buy them again. Now, the difference is with that, you have to pay 100% when, when, when you do that. Um, then you do a second list that says, I don't have priority on these properties. I haven't bought them before. So um, yeah, with so if you've got your priority certificates those are the ones that you've, you've purchased in years past. You've got those. It's the, the deposit on those is 100%. Then you've got your list that you have to submit um, where you do not have a priority claim. But these are the new properties that you want to buy during that tax year. And so at that point, you have to um, provide a 25% deposit on the total value of those certificates. So you're going to get 100 certificates and they're a thousand bucks a piece, hundred thousand dollars. So you got to pay your twenty-five thousand dollar deposit and provide that list. Um, what what happens though is when you go in, and and I'm not sure, Brian, are you familiar? Are there are there round robin sales in some of the other states that that you deal with? There are not many. Um, I think a couple that come to mind is is Wyoming. Um, and it's really sporadic on exactly how they conduct those round robin sales. So um, it, it's probably good to to describe exactly how Kentucky does it. Yeah, and that's what I always. That's one of the things I was. I think when it when it, the internet bumped out there a little bit is I always caution clients because as the attorney, I don't spend a lot of time at the actual auction 
part in, in doing the bidding. Usually they've got folks there, they know what they're looking for. And so um, I'm, I'm going off of, you know, statute, case law, things like that, that we read of how it's supposed to take place. But, you know, when you look at the round robin, the, the, the county clerk is going to have predetermined lot sizes. And so, and it can start off just properties. It can start off in, um, d- depending on the size of the county. I mean, you could have lots of 500 up to 7,500. Um, but what is, what's interesting. Lot sizes is, and number of properties, number of liens. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the issue is that this is statutory. Mm-hmm. So again, I can't think of a sale where you'd have a lot size of, you know, I mean, that that doesn't of, of seventy five hundred certificates, um, but you know it, it's so so. And let me clarify that you you've got a county depend so so there you'd be talking about Jefferson, uh, where Louisville is or Fayette Lexington. You've got a when you have, I think I misspoke there. You have a total of seventy five hundred certificates. Mm-hmm. So from twenty five hundred to seventy five hundred there's going to be a lot size that they can do, but it's, it's dependent on how big your County is to how your lot sizes are going to be divided up. Okay. And I, I, I misspoke there. You don't, you're not going to have 7,500 in the lot size. You're going to have counties that would have 2,500 to 7,500. And for those, they, they can um, lots of no more than 50 for the first four rounds. And then all subsequent rounds, um, they can be sold in lots not to exceed 2% of the total number of certificates. So as you look and as you go in, you're going to look at the total list and that's going to, you know, determine in your smaller counties where there's fewer than 500, your lot size is going to be up to five for the first four rounds, um, you know, all the way up to 50, like we talked about. But, but I think the most important outside of the mechanics, because again, that's where I just don't spend a lot of time in, in these auctions for bidding. I think the most important thing that I tell purchasers is in Kentucky, you really need to do your due diligence beforehand because you are only eligible to select certificates that you included on your current year um, list that was submitted when you registered for the sale. So if you did not register beforehand for that property, you cannot purchase it at the sale. So help me help me understand the the connection with the lots versus what you're purchasing in, in the round robin. So they 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 let's say the smaller county and they have a lot size of and if Randy if this is this is the part that you're not as familiar with just let me know. But um, they have a lot size of five parcels. Is the county saying hey here's five parcels for sale in this lot right? And then right. It, it's um, I'll say round robin to whoever gets to buy it. I guess what I'm not sure about is let's say you wanted to buy four of those five liens or is it something where you, you know, they break up the lot so that there's, it's always, you know, even, does that make sense? Yeah, and, and so that is where I, I don't, and, and I tell you, there, if you, there's a manual and, and I'll, it's, it's at revenue.ky.gov. And it's under documents and potential third-party purchasers manual. And, and that's where, you know, I kind of go to get, get the overview. And so I think what I would do is, you know, start there and then, um, you know, go and, and, and if, if, if somebody had a specific question, 
you know, going in and, and saying, hey, look, Randy, I want these properties. I want to make sure these properties on the list. If this is part of this bundle, um, we could call the county specifically. And, and honestly, I think that's always a good idea. It's just to call and verify. Because again, outside of, of actually being there in that sale, that's probably the part I am, am most uncomfortable opining about. Okay, um, and so I'll, I'll, uh, we'll get that and send that um, manual out to everybody so they can reference that as well, Randy. Um, thanks for- And it's in, there's a link, a hyperlink in our article. So if you look on page seven of the article that's posted on your website, okay. um, it's under uh, subsection C cell procedures. And so it's, it's that link there. Okay, now it's, um, I guess the other question I had, and if this falls in that bucket too, um, just let me know is, is the, you know, the deposit amount that you have to put down is 100% of those that you have primary, meaning you've, you've bought those liens in the past. And the secondary is only 25% of the amount because these are liens that you haven't owned in the past, somebody else might, or nobody has, right? But you have interest right. in it. Is it kind of guaranteed that if you, if it's a priority one that you own in the past and you identify this is one I want, do you automatically you get, get that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's a very good question. Um, so all priority certificates uh, that are allocated to third-party purchasers um, are removed from the sale. And, and so again, you know, when, when we're looking, um, we're, we're, we're doing our due diligence as the list, because if I jump back here, let me get the timeline for you. So on April 15th, or about three months and 15 days from the date um, that the delinquent taxes were due, if there's an alternative schedule, but, but let's just go by, it's January 1, so April 15th, the sheriff files all the tax claims. Um, real property tax claims become a certificate uh, and go through the Department of Revenue. That's why we go to the Department of Revenue page as opposed to the sheriff. And so they're responsible for collecting. Uh, and what I, th I think when you look at when they start to pull out here, and I want to get my timeline, um, the Department of Revenue establishes the statewide schedule for sale of the, of the certs in each county. So we go on the Department of Revenue site, we see when each sale is going to be. Uh, the sale is conducted by the county clerk and it has to be scheduled 90 days, but not more than 135 days after the unpaid tax claims are filed in the county. So again, that's kind of starting to, to set up and, and why this is important. And I know a lot of this is probably like, why is he saying all these numbers? But because you're going to start looking at what inventory there is, right? But, but what we don't know is there's just, just like in West Virginia, there's not as many buyers. In Kentucky, you know, there, there's, there's a larger number of institutional buyers. Mm -hmm. And so it's more likely that you're going to have more priority claims. So as you start to look at your inventory and you do your due diligence and you're starting to narrow down what you want, um, you know, part of that list is going to shrink because not only your priority claims, but everybody else's priority claims is going to be taken out of that list. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, when, when you get to the sale and, and, and unfortunately, you know, you're going to submit your list and you're going to submit your 25% deposit on new certs that you want. Mm -hmm. But there's a good chance that everybody else at that same time is also filing their priority and their new certs. So some of the ones that you're listing, somebody else may have a priority on. Now we, we can do the research on the front end and, and kind of see 
how many liens are stacked up and things like that. But it's it's kind of ever changing as, as what that inventory is gonna look like. Because again, um, the list of priority certs doesn't have to be submitted to the county until 10 days before the sale. Okay. So I mean, we're, we're right on the doorstep. Um, yeah. In, on those priority liens, you mentioned in some cases, right, you have to wait at least a year, but you had mentioned you're aware of some instances where there might be eight years and six different cert holders. Yeah. Is there an, I'll say, uber priority where whoever, whoever has the oldest oldest lien and identifies that they want to buy it, do they have first right or is it swapped as in the most recent? Most recent. Okay. It's so the most if, recent. If you buy a lien and skip a year and somebody else buys that, it's that person that bought it under you, they have priority to get it first. So you don't want to just buy one and then hold it saying, ah, I can come back in, in five years. You want to continue to buy that every year if it's available, obviously. Right. Um, got it. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, and, and so let me, let me kind of go back to that. So, so the statute says you've got, you, there's basically a, a tolling period for the first year. And then after that tolling period, you have 10 years to execute on that lien. So if it's so we always say 10 plus one or 11 total years, but you can't, you can't do anything during that first year. Mm -hmm. So um, if, and, and so what happens is just like with some judgment liens and other types of liens that, that, you know, we would have experience with at the end of that 10 year period following the first year, it, it will just fall off and it becomes unenforceable. And so it's um, you at any time, after that first year, you can move to foreclose. You can continue to purchase and stack priority. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, if, if you drop out and somebody else jumps in, then at all tax sales going forward, they're going to have the priority. And then what happens is, is you know, when um, you file for judicial sale, uh, everybody with an interest is, is going to be part of that. And and be be paid out of you know the master commissioner sale. Got it. If but we'll we'll get to kind of that point in in. Um, but so let me let me just go. So when you get the pre notice of the tax sale, so it says at least thirty days, but not more than forty five days before the sale date. And remember, the sale date is going to be established by the Department of Revenue, but the county is going to be responsible for publishing in the newspaper thirty to forty five days before in each county um the the list um and and so you know that's kind of that that first part of of trying to find that newspaper list looking through and and deciding understanding that there's going to be some people that pay those taxes there's going to be some people that are priority there's going to you know but that that gives you your list we talked about kind of the round robin sale and then if we get into post sale notices this is now where the servicing obligation is a little bit heavier in Kentucky and it's, it's critically important so because the sale notification, that's not responsibility of the no, that's County. Okay. That's, that's the County clerk. He's going to put it in the newspaper, you know, due process. Hey, you haven't paid your taxes, pay your taxes. Uh, but for us, we use that to look at inventory, you know, for, for them, it's notice to go pay your taxes for us. That's kind of our first, opportunity to go and see what kind of inventory is available in each county. And so, you know, you derive that list from the Department of Revenue schedule, sales schedule, and then you can just, um, you know, 
based off that extrapolate when those newspapers should be published in, but it's going to be published in each county. And I'm telling like, so in Muhlenberg County, where I grew up, you know, we had a newspaper that was published once a week, you know, so I mean, it, you're not exactly sure when it's, uh, you know, but it has to be between that 30 and 45 day period. Um, so then you, 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 you've listed your certs that you want and you, you know, you come out and, and it's okay, what do we do next? Um, so payment plan, you know, we talked about and, and, and going down that road, but even before that, um, the delinquent taxpayer must work with the third party to, to, to satisfy the delinquency. There, there is an obligation that's put on them. So again, that's what we have to tell that we can't burden shift and we try to get the judges to understand that, that you know, we're doing everything we can, but obviously we, we own the lien and the taxpayer obviously has a, a, an obligation to work with us too. Uh, but within 50 days, and this is what we call the 50-day letter, after delivery of the, the cert, um, we have to send out notice to the delinquent taxpayer by first-class mail, and you have to have proof of mail. And so all of that's a little bit tedious, and, and it can be easy to um, you know, look, for, for instance, hey, yeah, we sent everything else out. Did, did you send it out? Registered mail, return receipt requested. Did you get that back? Did you keep that? Because when we go to court, I'm going to need all that. I'm going to, I'm going to need that 50-day letter. I'm going to need the, uh, a copy of the envelope. I'm going to need a copy of the green card showing that it went out and it was received. Um, the notice, it's, it's very specific in the statute. Um, basically, that there's a lien against the property, 1% uh, interest per month. Uh, if, the, if the cert is not paid, it will be subject to collection, which it will include foreclosure. A list of the due, uh, of the total amount due, as of the date of the notice, and and again that can be a little bit, um, you know, you, you got to make sure that your your, your calculations are correct there, um, and as far as what is the tax, what what am I statutory allowed to you know to send out to this this taxpayer, um, but they it, just like with anything else they haven't, um, Kentucky has determined at this point they have a right to know the amount due. And that's basically going to be the starting point for everything else that is added on. Um, let's see. Um, you know, and then you're, you're looking at discussing, again, the payment plan or uh, if they simply want to try to redeem and uh, who, is, who is eligible to redeem. Uh, one of the things we run into in, in Kentucky a lot is... Um, you know, you'll, you'll have um, a mortgage, you know, servicer who will step in. And that is why a lot of times, especially if you're buying it, because again, taking a step back in, in West Virginia, you don't want that mortgage servicer to be there if you want the property. You know, you don't want them to send them pay all your bills, right? But in Kentucky, when you're doing your upfront research, it's not a bad idea to have a mortgage servicer in the background who either is responsible to pay these taxes through escrow, or even it's non-escrowed, you know that this is the only secured collateral they have against this, this loan. And so what you do is, is you can sit there, and that's why some of these liens sit there for four or five years, because they're accruing interest. And then at some point, when it goes to foreclosure, you're going to have that servicer show up and say, okay, um, we need to redeem this. And so it's, it, it acts as, so, so even if you have a taxpayer 
who cannot pay and has, um, you know, failed at the payment plan. Um, if you have that in the background, that's an added layer potentially of security. And I'd say more times than not, they're going to show up and, and, and redeem. At least that's been our experience. Got it. Got it. So it's kind of a, um, a hint, hint for everybody listening. If you are looking to get in Kentucky, and it's, it certainly sounds to me, uh, Randy, is Kentucky's not a state you dabble in, right? There's, there's, right. there's homework not only from, um, you know, I'm assuming there's probably counties that are a little easier to work with than others. You know, yeah. you know, uh, there's that homework, but then there's also, um, you know, a lot of setup that you need to put in place. Notices, payment plan documents, uh, a software, uh, a person that you probably need to help unless you want to do it yourself. Uh, you need to do all that to really even get started in Kentucky. So it's not something you dabble in. And so if you're going to, um, do it or enter the market in a large way, um, then, you know, that, that type of information is, is extremely valuable for everybody listening, which is the, you know, Hey, uh, mortgage mortgage holders will, will sit out there until you file for court and file foreclosure. So whether you want the property, yeah, maybe you want to do it after that first year, if you're just looking to gain some interest, maybe let it sit for a little longer. So there's several different strategies, but having that piece of, of information is pretty key. And, and if you go to the foreclosure sale, it, well, and let me just, so let, let's kind of start there um, real quick. And I'm not sure how much time, but if we've got a little bit more time, if I can just go through the kind of initiation of the action and, and how that kind of plays out. Yeah. Let's, um, uh, so real quick, just kind of summarize. Oh, yeah. You have to wait at least, is it a year and a day or is it a year from the sale date? Um, so you can't institute anything during that first year. So yeah, it essentially the fair reading of the statute is it would be January 2nd. If, if, if we're saying that delinquent taxes accrue on, on January 1, then a year would be January. So January 2 okay. would be the first time you could, you could end. So it's not a year from the sale, right? The sale is typically in May-ish, right? May, June, somewhere in there. Um, you don't have to wait a year from the sale. It's a year from the date of delinquency. Let me go back and verify that. I guess while, while you're looking at that, um, you, you don't have to do anything in that first, that for after that first year, you have up to 10 additional, so 11 years or is it? 11 years total. Okay. And is that to start the foreclosure process or be done with it? Yes, to start. Yeah, as long as an action is instituted. So, so you know, in, in a, on the filing of the complaint. So, you know, it, it, then it's, you're moving forward even if it's not served yet. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, for the most part, most of them don't sit around quite that long, you know, because then there's at some point there's a tipping point where the inherent risk of holding on to it just lessens the potential of any actual recovery. Okay. You know, so so I think um, there's that you know, a healthy portfolio probably is going to you may have a few years stacking up, um, but I would if, if you had somebody that was looking to purchase a portfolio. Or, you know, I would, I would look closely at the age of the liens. And if, especially say you see groupings of aged liens in certain counties, you got to ask yourself, why is that? Hmm. You know, and maybe that's also uh, a hint to you that that's not a very friendly venue for this industry. And so maybe we don't want to purchase in X, Y, and Z County. Um, and there's a reason why they've got liens that are seven, eight, nine years old, 
in that county, you know, and, and it kind of telegraphs to you. So um, yeah, depending on the number that you would see and the age, some of that starts to, to concern me a little bit. Um, you know, we, we've, had, we've had situations where there was a large number of liens um, that were invalidated in, in Eastern Kentucky counties, um, you know, for, for various reasons that were, that were in portfolios and had been in portfolios for, for a long time. Um, and so, um, but again, that, that's a little bit different. Because they were over 11 years or invalidated because they didn't follow some, some of the, whatever process is needed in the given timeline. So, so one of the ones that I could think of was um, refuse fees were um, uh, in, instead of it being real property, they asserted a lien for unpaid refuse fees, hmm. and then they sold those liens. But they looked; they were sold by the county, and they were very similar. Um, well, they all became, you know, essentially worthless down the road. And so, again, you want to do your due diligence and make sure and see what you're purchasing. Got it. Uh, so if, but, so if somebody's oh, selling a portfolio, sorry to jump around. No, 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 no. If somebody's selling a portfolio of 11-year-old liens, say 11 years in a day or more, is that worthless paper at that point? Not necessarily. Oh, yes. Yeah, 11 days. Yes. Oh, it's 11 not like years you could still day. set up a payment plan and granted, you can't foreclose on it, but you could still, I'll say lottery ticket, set up payment plans and collect something. Those are truly worthless yeah, I would I would be hesitant to advise anybody to try to, to collect and, and and there may be more and, and honestly I, I off the top of my head don't know the um, the the court's position on that but I would be very hesitant um, to advise anybody even to, to try to obviously you can't institute an action and they're not going to be enforceable but I would not advise my clients to even try to collect on something because I think that you could very quickly run a foul. Um, what I would say going back, if you've got a portfolio, even if it's a little bit older, um, you know, you can look at all those things we talked about and, and you can look at um, the, the servicing file, you know, make sure that it has the, the letters that are required, that it has, you know, all the documentation, that that's not the problem holding it up. You see if there are some with, with um, you know, mortgages out there, um, and, and you can you can look through it and, and determine. And that's one of the things we do. We help clients look through in the states that we're most familiar with, look at the counties, understanding the, the dynamics within that county, understanding the age of the portfolio and potential problems, and then helping that helping them potentially, you know, purchase that portfolio or pass on. Okay. Okay. Now, now I guess one last question, sale wise, and then um, you know maybe we can dive into the foreclosure piece. So. Liens that are advertised as being available, nobody reserves them, nobody ends up buying them, they end up unsold, right, or struck off. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different names over the counter. Is there, do people have the ability to buy those at any point in time after the sale or are they, are they basically unavailable until the next sale, they'll bring them up then? And I guess what happens to those? Going fine, because that's not something, again, that we traditionally get involved in, the ones that aren't purchased. Um, but um, and so, you know, I guess we can leave it uh, up to, I guess, investors that are maybe interested in that, reach out to the county and, and maybe it varies by county, right? Uh, well, and, I, and I think that, that most of the time, we've got a, se a section that, 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 that deals with that on page 13, uh, but um, there, are, there are public sales. 
So again, if you've got state-owned, county-owned, or taxing district-owned properties, mm-hmm. um, and it's gone through the the lien cert, and then it's become the, the, they have the ownership interest, they can advertise those. There's a statutory process for public notice and public sale. Um, you know, but again, those are ones, and, and maybe there, there there's some, but but vast majority of time, there's a reason that those don't get picked up. From, from what we see. I mean, there, there's, you know, usually you have a, a, a pretty good, uh, you know, amount of, of, of buyers in Kentucky. Right. And so where you're not leaving a lot of, it's, what is it? The, the wheat and the, the chafe. It's, it's most of the chafe that's left on the floor after the sale. Got it. Got it. Well, um, Randy, I want to be cognizant of, of your time because um, this has been awesome. And I feel like there's a lot more that we can, we'll talk about on the foreclosure side. Um could we maybe set up a, another call to talk about the foreclosure side? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. Okay. Well, then, um, in you know, I, we 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 film these live for everybody that's watching. Um, you know, and and um, I don't want to make this uh, too long for for everybody because um, Randy, this has been awesome. I, I want to have you back. We'll talk about the the foreclosure aspect because that's a very key component of Kentucky as well, mm-hmm. especially because of the servicing aspect of it. Um, so outside of the foreclosure, I got one last question for you outside of the foreclosure side, what would be your biggest recommendation, uh, for investors that are looking to get into Kentucky that they need to keep in mind? So, so, and this is probably going to be a little bit of a convoluted answer, but, but I think (laughs) when you look at Kentucky, you know, Kentucky is a very, very old state that, that, you know, was part of Virginia. Um, land is, is very important uh, and it's passed down from generation to generation. Um, and so while, you know, everyone understands the importance of the delinquent taxes being paid, and I'm sure a lot of states are like this, but, but there is a very real attachment that people in West Virginia and people in Kentucky have to property. You have more family cemeteries on property in Kentucky than any other state. And, and, and the, the, I mean, you know, small family plots. And so, you know, I think that it's, it's important to do the due diligence, to look at where you're going to be, to understand that local jurisdiction, the, the county, and understand that, that because of this attachment and because of the importance that the property has to the, to the people of Commonwealth, that when you go through your servicing and you move into that, um, you know, judicial foreclosure phase, you, you need to make sure that you've done everything. So you can say, I've, I've, you know, purchased the tax lien to benefit the county. I've tried to work with this delinquent taxpayer so that they could have a payment plan. I have provided all the notices um, and make it easy for the judge to say, okay, you know, you've done everything you were supposed to do. Uh, and, um, you know, because, because again, it's, it's not just a rubber stamp. You've got to go through the judicial process. Then you got to go over to the master commissioner and get it appraised and sold. So, I, and, and I think that sometimes, you know, looking at counties, looking at what your long-term strategy is and understanding the dynamics of those counties and, and having counsel that's local and can guide you through that, um, it's important because I think there's a lot of intangibles um, that can impact long-term success. 
And it just goes back to, you know, that in, importance of land and the apprehension to, to strip that land um, without providing every conceivable opportunity for that, that citizen of that county. And I told you that was probably gonna be convoluted, but, but again, I think it goes back to, you know, making sure that you know where you're buying and, and you understand all the dynamics. You understand the judges, you understand the master commissioner, you understand, um, you know, your, your, your audience. And, and then you do everything you need to, to when you get into court, because a lot of times they're going to be looking for a reason fairly, you know, to, to say, look, you, you haven't complied with the statute. Um, and so I, I think you go in almost like in a football game, you know, you're going in the fourth quarter and you're probably a little bit behind in, in the, if the, if the score is based on sentiment, hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. You know, and so you want to be able to say, I am, I am a benefit to the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I'm a benefit to your County and I do everything by the book and I help your citizens and, 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 and build a reputation, build a reputation in that County. Uh, because that's going to be, you know, if, if the more symbiotic the relationship can be and the more that, you know, they understand that this is a benefit, you're here for the long term, you're working with the people, um, I think the more successful you're going to be. If you come in and you're unattached, unassociated, and, and it gets a reputation of it's being sloppy or that um, the citizens of the county aren't being treated fairly, then you're going to set yourself. And, and a lot of times, little things like that can, can harm your reputation. But I think you want to go in and make sure you're doing everything by the book to build your reputation. Gotcha. So it's, I guess it's, uh, you can do all that homework or learn that and somehow by yourself, I don't even know where you'd start or working with um, you know, a group like Nelson Mullins and, and you, Randy, mm-hmm. um, will have a lot of that knowledge from the get-go. And so if you're um, if you are looking to jump into Kentucky in a, in a big way, you know, I, uh, Randy, I know you won't say it, but I highly recommend giving Randy a call um, and um, it'll be well worth the time and, and expense to help have them help you at least do that, that homework and figure out what model works, works for you. Um, because that is as important um, or maybe even more important than the research of the properties themselves, it sounds like. Um, well, Randy, um, I, I greatly appreciate your time today. Um, for all those that were hoping to get the soup nuts uh, today or in this video, sorry, sorry uh, we're, we'll definitely circle back and, and go through the foreclosure process. I know that's um, very intensive in Kentucky as well. And so we'll, we'll, we'll make sure you guys get that information um, but hopefully this has been as, as much of a learning experience for you all as it was for me and Randy. Uh, again, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I look forward to circling back around on foreclosure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. Part one in our two-part series about Kentucky. Join us again in a couple weeks when Randy explains specifically how the foreclosure process works in this unique state. Although Randy will be back for part two, we do want to give him a thank you, but also the Nelson Mullins team a big thank you, which includes Matt Abbey and Megan Fitzgerald, who contributed information concerning Kentucky specifically. I'm Rachel Seinsticker signing out until next time. Cheers and happy investing.